guys hey i'm gage and i'm ray and you are listening to go report and it's spooky spooky as ever (laughs) (laughs) we hope you're having a good week everybody we definitely are we've got some things coming up that we're super excited for yes it's well i'm not looking forward to how busy it's gonna be but i'm looking forward to just doing it uh me and ray are going to houston texas in a week uh to go to anime mitsuri yes because we're fucking dweebs and i'm super excited about it affirmative (laughs) and then as soon as the trip is over i'm actually moving so that's gonna be fun but We'll have, like, a new station for the pod lab. And and also, I mean, you're going to be 30 minutes closer to me now. Yes, and that will be always convenient. So I'm really excited. Like, again, not really excited about how busy it's going to be, but I'm definitely excited to just, like, go to Texas cosplay with my fellow weird people and then come back and move. It's going to be fun. So I know everybody's going to want to know, what are you going as? Oh, okay. So, do we have any Naruto fans out there? Because if so, lit same. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna cosplay as a uh, Nagato from okay. Naruto. Uh, more specifically, the Tendo Path Pain because I got the <laughs> I got the Rinnegan Scaleras and my headband and my cloak, and I'm just you know I'm fucking ready. That's awesome. I'm going as Toko Kirishima from Tokyo Ghoul. We stand Tokyo Ghoul on this podcast. <laughs> yes, but it's going to be a very low budget Toka Kirishima because I'd rather just wear my own clothes, wear the scoleras and my little purple wig that I got. Yoga style Toka. Yeah. It's going to be cute as fuck, though. I'm really excited. I'm kind of just going to go for comfort, too. Like the Akatsuki cloak zipped up, Renegons, my headband. I'm already, I'm already redheaded, so I don't really have to dye my hair or anything. So it's going to be fucking lit. Yeah, and the 12 and a half hour drive to get there. (laughs) It'll be fun. Well, I say that now. I'm probably going to be panicking, but (laughs) I'm actually really excited about it. Yeah, but I also do want to say, though, too, that if you are out in Houston, Texas, and you're listening to us, hello, and you could possibly meet and greet us out in Houston, Texas, which would be pretty awesome. Yes, if you're going to Anime Mitsuri, then we'll be there, and we'll be square. I also wanted to give uh, a small shout out to one of our followers. I asked her permission for this because, you know, not everyone wants to hear their name on air. But uh, her name's Emily Ann. And excuse me if I butchered the last name. I believe it's Buendia. But she is so, so sweet. She literally posted on our page uh, earlier this week. She said she loved the pod. Thanks to you and Ray for my entertainment of the day. I thought that was super sweet. That is awesome. We adore you and thank you for listening and supporting us. I just kind of wanted to give her like a little shout out, you know. Like, Tell her how much we appreciated her and stuff. Because she's listened to all the episodes. She's been very sweet. She's reached out just to tell us how much she loved the podcast. And that makes me feel just fucking grand. I also want to give a shout out to Tabitha Wood. Um, she's the I'm not perky page that shared our page on. Oh, our page. okay, yeah, I was wondering who that was. Yeah, so love you, Tab. Thank you so much. We appreciate everyone's support, and we love you all. We love you, Tabitha and Emily. Thank you. <laughs> So, yeah, that's what we have going on. We hope you're having a good week. We're really excited to give you this next case. Ray's been working really hard on it, as usual. Without further ado this week, you guys, uh, let's dive into Ray's case. Today, we're going to be talking about the disappearance of Maribel Ramos. And she was a 36-year-old veteran who just suddenly vanished. It rocked the entire town of Orange, California. And at that time, Orange was an extremely safe and nice town. The population was only about 138,000 people. 
And downtown Orange was known as this historic, sleepy little town. So, it wasn't a very busy town. Simple people. Low crime rate. So, when Maribel went missing, this was a huge deal. The media was in a frenzy. There were people out looking for her. Flyers being passed out. Just everyone doing everything they could to find her. To help find her, yeah. Yeah. Um, Gage... (laughs) He's pouring himself a glass of wine. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. I didn't know anybody <laughs> could hear that. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> so growing up, Maribel was inspirational to everyone around her. She was very compassionate, competitive, fun to be around. She was always thinking about her future. Oh, what a beautiful person from what it seems. She was really someone who had so much to give. She was described as being the tomboy of the family. She had an interest in criminal justice, so she decided to fund her schooling by signing up for the military. Oh, wow. So Maribel left for basic training, and a few months later, 9-11 happened. Oh, wow. So she was shipped overseas. This badass did two tours. And when she came back from her second tour, she was able to pursue her bachelor degree in criminal justice. And she decided not to re-enlist. So she finished up what time she had left in the service and moved to Orange, California, where she would attend California State University in Fullerton, California. Maribel's mother passed away in 2009. And she wanted her sister, Lucero, also known as Lucy. I'll continue to call her Lucy throughout the story. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, She wanted her sister to be her roommate at the apartment she was staying in. Lucy declined the offer, unfortunately. There was a lot going on in her life at the moment, and it just wasn't feasible for her to move in. It just wasn't the right time. Right. So, she told Maribel that she should... Go ahead and get a roommate. And if she couldn't find a roommate, the idea was, if you can't find a roommate, I will come and move in. And stay with you. Gotcha. Gotcha. Right. So Maribel put up an ad on Craigslist for a roommate. And Kwong Chol Joy, also known as Casey, answered the ad. And they wrote to each other back and forth. He was educated, appeared to be a very nice person. And they both had their own little tiny dogs. So, they appeared to have some things in common. Gotcha. He claimed he lived in Knoxville, Tennessee, and was looking for a job in Huntington Beach. He told Maribel that he wanted to come by and see the apartment while he was in town for his interview. When he came to visit, he was greeted by Maribel and Lucy. And he was a 53-year-old man, obviously an older-looking man who seemed to be very quiet and kind of shy. Gotcha. While visiting and looking around, Casey told Lucy... That he doesn't have family, a wife, or children. He wouldn't be bringing people to the house and anything else you'd have to normally worry about when you have a younger roommate. Who just kind of wants to party all the time. (laughs) Right. Right. So that way, Maribel could do her schooling and not be bothered. And Maribel was getting so close to her degree. She was focused and she spent a lot of time working and studying. So Casey's offer seemed to be a good fit. Yeah, he seems responsible and not a lot of baggage and willing to, you know, uphold his part and whatnot. I right. mean, where my first red flag pops up is the fact that she went to Craigslist. Yeah, I was actually going to say that. I didn't really know if it was necessary or like really even worth saying. But when you said that she had put an ad on Craigslist, like my heart kind of sank. My heart just kind of sank. I was like, ooh, I don't know. I don't know about that. A lot of bad shit happens on Craigslist. So Casey moved in and everything was going smoothly. Okay. Months had passed and he was always at home. Like he didn't have any friends to come over and cause disruptions. And he hardly went out anywhere. So Maribel, being the kind-hearted person she is, invited him to come out and enjoy a meal with her family. Oh, what a sweet fucking person. Oh, my God. That's sweet. He took her up on the offer, and when he met Maribel's family, he was, like, opening up. He was cracking jokes with them and laughing and just, you know, fitting in famously. So Casey and Maribel gradually became real close friends. Gotcha. So, like, Maribel's family just openly embraced him, basically. That's really, really fucking sweet and kind. That just goes to show the character of these people, Maribel and her family. That's precious. Yeah, and her family is actually really tight-knit. 
which I can tell. Yeah. You know, they they all the time did things together. Very close and connected. So they would do things together like best friends do. They'd go to the dog park together. If she was at the store and he needed anything, she would pick it up for him. If there was a family party, he was always invited. And they just became very tight-knit. It was like the family was already tight-knit. But then they opened up their arms to him. And then he became very tight-knit with the rest of the family. So it seems like Maribel had found like the ideal roommate at the time. Then. Right, right. Like just chill, just vibing, you know. Nothing too crazy. Pretty much, yeah. So he was now viewed as a family friend. Since they enjoyed having him over for parties and dinner so much. The summer before Maribel went missing, Lucy was driving and got a call from Casey, and he told her that he wanted to tell her something. When she asked what was going on, he started to say things like, I know your sister wants to get married and have kids, but I want to be the man she's looking for. Oh, God. Lucy didn't know how to react to what he was saying. Like, she said she was shocked because this was so out of the blue. You know how you meet someone, time passes, and you think you know their intentions, and then they suddenly switch up? Yeah. It's, it's exactly like that. There was no sign that Casey's and Maribel's relationship was evolving into, like, a romantic one. So he continued to say that he was in love with her, and they had a great friendship, and that he loves the family. Well, that's so weird. Like, why would he go to Maribel's sister Yeah. to say all of this? Like... You would think if he had feelings for Maribel, like, wouldn't that be more of a conversation for him to have with her? Like, why would he just call her sister? Yeah, and I was literally going to make that point here in just a second. Because, like, Lucy stopped him and said, Casey, like, listen, you're a nice man and all, but you're a lot older than Maribel. And you guys are not a match. Like, she's young. The type of partner she needs isn't you. That's you're- just, he's not what she's looking for. Right. You're her friend. Like, she will never look at you like that. Yeah. So he got silent for a while, and then they ended the conversation. But she immediately turned around and called Maribel and told her everything Casey said. Lucy then told her, like, you have to talk to him. Yeah. Because if this is the case, then he can't live with you anymore. Yeah, that's when shit can get a little weird. Because personally, this creeps me the fuck out. Like you were saying, if you're having feelings for someone, you talk to that person about your feelings and work it out from there. Not call a family member on some behind-your-back sneaky shit. The man is living in her house. And things like this tend to go really wrong. You know what that means. Red Red flag. flag. Red flag as fuck. Maribel called her sister sometime later and said that they talked. So they did talk about it. Okay. She explained that he had a crush on her and he was just having a moment. And after that, there were attempts by KC to better position himself to be more than a roommate with her. So he, like, kept trying, basically. Exactly. Oh, God. This is when things begin to really spiral. Maribel at one point told KC he would look good with a tattoo. So what does he do? He oh, comes, don't tell me. Yeah, he comes home with this humongous Bengal tiger tattoo on his arm. Holy shit, he had it bad. He started to dress differently and going out a lot to either appear to be younger or like mo- more social. Okay, this is really making my stomach like fucking drop yeah. through my asshole. <laughs> Last but not least, he spent over $10,000 to get plastic surgery to make his face look younger. Oh my god, he really fucking went the extra mile with this, didn't he? This weird behavior started to spiral because Casey's feelings toward Maribel were not reciprocated, obviously. She didn't want to be with him, and he was doing everything he could to make her see him differently. Oh, that's so weird. So going, like, I I know it's a more common thing that happens, like, as bad as I hate to say it, I know this kind of weird shit happens, but it's just, like, damn, that's a lot. Like, he's yeah. really, really, like, there's no way to, like, misconstrue that. He's absolutely 100% trying to do everything he can to make himself desirable to Maribel. Right, exactly, and I was going to say that, like, so going as far 
to do the plastic surgery, he's walking around in these bandages on his face and, you know, not looking himself, obviously. And Lucy saw this and she was like, oh my God, Casey, what happened? And he would just go, oh, you know, some stuff. I had to take care of some stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. That's weird. That's so weird. I'm sorry. That's weird. I'm going to jump a little bit forward in time. Detective Ramirez, the lead detective that was assigned to Maribel's missing persons case, he took a trip down to the records department to do what they call an in-house search to see if there were any clues to her disappearance. This apparently is a like a routine thing that they do in missing person cases or murder cases just to see if there was anything in their records leading up to the event. Gotcha. So in this particular case, they learned that prior to her disappearance, Maribel had called 911. Oh, whoa, what? On April 21st in 2013, and this was 12 days before her disappearance, a heated argument happened between Casey and Maribel, and he hadn't given her his portion of the rent. So she went to talk to him about it and was basically like, what's going on? Uh, Like, regardless of our friendship, you still have a responsibility with your part of the rent. And he got really upset and blew up on her and started cussing her out. Oh, my God. So she immediately decided, oh, no, we're not going to be friends and you have to move out. Well, good fucking job, Maribel, because fuck that. That is, oh, my God, that's scary. It was after this argument, Maribel called 911. And here's the 911 audio. Hi, Orange Police. Hi, it's not an emergency, but I just, um, is it recording? Is there a what? Is this conversation recording? Yes, every conversation is recorded. Okay, well, I just want to let you know that I have a roommate that should be leaving at the end of the month. We had a conversation today that he kind of freaked me out. I'm not feeling comfortable around him anymore. I'm feeling threatened. What's your name? My name is Maribel. Maribel. My name is Robin. What's your last name, Maribel? Robin. Sorry, Lois. Okay. I'm just like calling so that you guys know that if something happened, I did it because I was trying to defend myself. All I'm trying to say is that I'm warning. Um, honestly, I will fight for my life, and I swear I will, I will kill him. His full name is Juan Joel. But what I understand is Juan Chul Joy. At the end of the month, I want him to leave. And from now until then, I just feel like I have to lock my door, which I will. Because he sounded like he would hurt me. Like, it was weird. Why are you crying? Because I'm afraid. What? You're a man. I'm not comfortable with him anymore. I'm just, like, calling so that you guys know that if something happens... That I did it because I was trying to defend myself. Oh my god. Yeah, and what gives me chills is the fact that she's a military trained professional when it comes to fighting. Like, she has the knowledge and the means to protect herself, and she sounds terrified. Like, that just sent chills up my fucking spine. And she was not only terrified of KC, but also terrified of what she'd do to him to protect herself. Like, she had it in her mind that if he came for her, she was going to kill him. Well, yeah. I can only imagine how bad that fight must have been in that moment. Yeah, like, again, it just sent the utmost horrendous chills up my spine that just... I couldn't even fucking imagine. And you said this took place 12 days before she disappeared? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So that makes it a little bit more chilling, the fact that, like, you're hearing her voice now in this audio, but 12 days later, she was gone. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So the police responded to her 911 call. However, she didn't want to make a report. She just wanted him gone. She really didn't elaborate to the police much more than that, so the responding officer really had no clue what the fight was about. The officer then asked Maribel if she was going to be okay, and she was like, yeah, I'll be okay. 
Oh my god. She wanted it documented that she was roommates with this person. She was feeling threatened and uncomfortable and wanted him to go. So if anything happened to either her or Casey, there would be evidence either way. Gotcha. On May 2nd, 2013, one day before Maribel's disappearance, at 7.15 p.m., she dropped by the apartment complex's office to deposit her rent in the Dropbox. This was the last time she would ever be seen. Oh, my God. And it was caught on video. Oh, my God. Everything appeared fine in the video. Like, you literally see her walk up to the door, slide her check into the Dropbox, and walk off. Oh, my goodness. The video is actually really creepy in retrospect. Knowing that that was the last time that she was seen. Right. So when she returned home, she got into another heated argument with Casey. So, like, after she left the apartment Dropbox and went back home, they got into another big argument. Gotcha. Is basically what I was getting at. So he was supposed to be out of the house, but he wanted a life with Maribel. So he gave every excuse he could think of to delay him leaving. Like, I need more time, or I'm still trying to get a job. It was clear he wasn't moving out. Of course. That is fucking terrifying. Maribel then told Casey, no, you're out regardless. And you need to be out by tomorrow. He blows up on her again, so she calls Paul Lopez, and I'm unclear on who this man was to her. Maybe a man she was dating or, like, close friends with. Gotcha. So, she calls Paul and puts him on speakerphone, and Paul himself tells KC that if he doesn't leave tomorrow, he would physically remove him and his stuff out of the apartment. Oh, shit. That was the last call on Maribel's phone. Oh, my God. May 3rd, 2013, it's Friday and Lucy was at work. She got a text from KC saying that Maribel didn't come home last night and that he called the police, but he was told he couldn't make a report because she hadn't been missing for 24 hours. Lucy thought he was just trying to keep tabs on Maribel and told him that if she didn't come home last night... That's none of his business. Right, it's none of your business and not to worry about it. Exactly. So she straight up told him that. He replied and said, I'm just worried about her. This isn't like her. Let me know if you hear from her. That is so fucking unsettling. Lucy then texted Maribel something obscure like, Happy Friday, just to check in on her. And she didn't get a text back. Like, the intentions of sending her the text message was just to see, like, what was going on with Maribel and if Maribel was going to open up and talk to Lucy about it. Oh, my goodness. But she never got a text back. So she didn't think anything of it. She was mainly upset about Casey texting her because in her mind, this man doesn't need to be texting or calling her at all. Like, the interaction just made Casey seem even weirder than he was. Yeah, like I said earlier, like when Casey was calling Lucy in regards to his feelings of Mary Bell and going on those long spiels, it's like, why are you, why are you doing that? Like, why, why do that? You know. But I also look at it this way: like he's been going to family gatherings and stuff like that. The family knows who he is. They know how his relationship is with Maribel. And I'm very certain that once that relationship started to spiral and come down, like, it's weird now for him to contact the family. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. After work, Lucy had gone out to dinner with a friend of hers. And later that evening, she got a call from her cousin's wife. She told her, please don't worry, but Maribel didn't make it to the game. None of us had talked to her and we're all going over to her house to make sure... Everything is okay. Meet us there. We called the police. Maribel was part of a softball team and everyone knew she wouldn't miss a single game. So when she didn't show up, naturally, it was cause for alarm among her family and her peers. Right. So her family showed up to Maribel's apartment and knocked on the door and got no answer. Her car was still in the garage. Oh my God. The police showed up and knocked on the door and again, no one answered. It was then... Police decided to force entry into the apartment. Amongst the commotion, Lucero showed up and feared her sister was dead. She immediately went to her sister's room. Her bedroom light was on, and Lucy noticed her bed wasn't made. Now, Maribel spent eight years in the military, 
And she had a routine to always make her bed when she got up. So that was something that was just totally was not like her. Right. It was habit for her to, const, you know, always make her bed before she even left the house. So them seeing that, like, her bed was unmade was like immediate red flag. It was not only unmade, but it was a mess. Oh, my God. That told Lucy that something was definitely wrong. She felt in her gut that Casey had done something to Maribel. The police were trying to locate where Casey was, so they called his cell phone number numerous times and still got no answer. So the suspicion of Casey being the culprit was growing. But as it turns out, Casey was sitting in his car, parked on the street with binoculars, watching the apartment. What? Yeah. He had fucking binoculars just watching as police investigated the apartment? Oh my god. Just sitting there watching the panic. Watching her family and the police knocking on the door to get no answer. Oh my fucking god. After an hour or so, he leaves his vehicle and walks up to the police, completely disregarding Lucy and the rest of the family. And Lucy is like trying to ask him, where's my sister? And he didn't even look her way or answer her question. Oh wow, that's that's fucking telling as fuck. Telling as fuck. He completely ignores her and asks the police, what's going on? Very casually and nonchalant. Oh, my God. This is literally making me so nervous. When an officer approached him and asked why he failed to provide assistance to get into the apartment, he responded that he thought something was seriously wrong. Wait, what? Yeah. So his reason for not aiding the police to get into the apartment was because he felt something was wrong. Yeah. Oh, my God. So Casey told Ramos's cousin at some point during the commotion that he saw Maribel leave with a male, but ignored any requests for further details. That makes no sense. Like, he's basically trying to say, oh, well, this man showed up and he's, Maribel left with him. And- he's already trying to set up a story in which he wasn't involved. Exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's fucking chilling. So, Detective Ramirez was called in on the case and briefed about Maribel's disappearance. He learned about Maribel missing the softball game, and her family and friends said that this was way out of character. And as I said, she never missed a game. So, from this point going forward, the detectives were involved pretty heavily. And inside the apartment, the officers found no obvious signs of a struggle or a fight. But detectives later on discovered bloodstains on the sleeves of gray polka dot pajamas that someone had folded and placed in her closet. Oh, that's weird. And as I said before, her car was still in the garage, but her keys, license, coin purse, and cell phone were missing. Oh, my God. May 4th, 2013. Hours after Maribel is reported missing. Detective Ramirez spoke to Casey in the interrogation room, and Casey was an immediate suspect because usually when it comes to missing person cases or any other cases really, as we all know, the last person to see them alive is a pretty big question mark. Yeah. So Casey voluntarily went in for questioning, which the detectives took note of toward the positive. He said that he cared about Maribel very much, And that she was his best friend and roommate and really the only family he had. So not only did they take DNA evidence from KC, just routine procedure, right? So Casey admitted in this interrogation that he and Maribel had argued on the evening of May 2nd because he had overstayed his move out date. He wanted to stay two more weeks, but refused to pay in advance. So, he also acknowledged Maribel had put Paul Lopez on the speakerphone and then retreated to her bedroom, and that was the last time he saw her. According to Casey, it was 9 p.m., and she was wearing gray polka dot pajamas. Oh, shit. He then said he went out for an hour driving up and down Tustin in the city of Orange because he was frustrated He just wanted to go for a drive, and when he returned, he noticed that her bedroom light was still on. One of her larger purses was there, 
but not her small purse, keys, or cell phone. Like all of the important things that she would take with her. Right. Like, you know, as a female carrying around a purse. I mean, you carry around a purse even. like. I mean, pretty much. I mean, it's a Naruto backpack, but it's a purse, you know? It's a purse, you know? It's a book bag purse. But, you know, she basically took, like, the important things that she would need when she dipped. Gotcha. Like, so even, even if she had sat in there and gone, like... I just want to get out away from the house for a couple of days with no tabs on me, not talk to anyone, just be by myself or be with someone that I enjoy their company. So something to that effect. He claimed Maribel dated frequently and always had dates lined up, but he called the police the next morning to report her as a missing person. Casey also admitted that he had been watching Maribel's apartment with binoculars and ducked in the back seat when the police arrived. He also admitted he had wanted a romantic relationship with Maribel, which she rejected. He told her he would buy her a car if he received a large settlement in a lawsuit against a former employee that he had going on. But he also claimed to the police that he and Maribel had designated each other as mutual beneficiaries in their wills. Going on to say how close they were and that she was his best friend and blah, blah, blah. That's so much. Yeah. So, Detective Ramirez was puzzled because it didn't sound like the truth, but he had nothing to go on at the time. No evidence. Also, the interrogations were kind of difficult because of a language barrier. Now, the language barrier... Did Casey not speak English very well? He was from China, but he was, you know living in Tennessee, and then he came to California. But check this out. So he grew up in the States. Yes. Oh, so he did know. I'm assuming then he did actually know good so English. So here's the crazy part. Like, the language barrier was because of KC. It was intentional. People who knew him well would talk to the detectives and ask them, where is this accent coming from? Whoa, what? Yeah, they would all tell them he never speaks like that. We don't know why he's talking like that. So he took on this persona in front of the detectives to show that he knew very little English. Oh my goodness. So since this whole ordeal started, his English speaking was really going downhill. Magically. Magically. And he would even act kind of confused at some points. Like he was having difficulty understanding the questions that the detectives were asking. Oh my God. I actually have audio for you to show you the difference. So the first clip I'm going to play for you is from a news interview when they were all looking for Maribel. Remember I said that the media frenzy was crazy. Mm-hmm. So they actually, you know how they're standing there with the crew and they're asking people like, what do you know about it? And da, da, da. Um, so his speaking to the news crew is fine. Like then, good English. Right. But then you listen to the interrogation. With police. And it's broken English. Oh, and he wow. Seems, he seems really kind of frustrated or, like I said, confused. It's a lot. So here is the first clip from the news crew. Unusual thing was being next day, Friday morning, she was not here. That's unusual. That's the one I called the police. Her roommate says they gave each other space in their Rose Avenue apartment. But Casey Joy began to worry when Ramos, an Army veteran, missed class six days ago and her on-campus job. He says police searched their home for hours, taking Ramos's laptop and bed sheets, all after he invited investigators inside. And voluntarily, they want a DNA sample that took a picture of my body. Uh, they were searched the house without a search warrant. Um, I'll give them a, a permission to do it. Go ahead, go for it. She's my only family I have. She's my best friend, and I have to come back. That's all. Now, here's the audio of KC being interrogated by Detective Ramirez. And check out this difference. Her baseball bat's in the closet. Her baseball bat or the, her bag was right in the closet. She didn't go play the game. Her bag, her ba- baseball bat or in the closet because she didn't go to the game. Yes. Uh, Maybe you know about this, about that, this, that's the first time when I'm, well, you know, I said, like, I was- Now that I've given you the before and after, what do you think? 
I don't even know what to make of that. That's crazy because from what you hear in the first audio when he's talking to the news station, he definitely knows how to speak. I think even better English than me. <laughs> like, he definitely <laughs> understands. Like, and you go into the second audio when he's being interrogated by police, and it's like, what a fucking act. Yeah. Like, what a fucking act. That is just. Just gave me fucking, it gave me goosebumps. Yo, on the documentary that I watched, even Maribel's sister, when she was speaking about her account of the whole ordeal, she was like, dude, just what a show. Like, he was talking like that to gain, like, the feel sorry for me mode. That's fucking, oh my God. Because, you know, he's telling all these people, well, she's my best friend and my, the only and the family only, I have. Yeah, the only family I have. Right. So it's like, oh, this poor man, like, he's missing his best friend and who he considers family. And not only that, but he can't speak good English and he's having such a hard time. And it's just, it's ridiculous. So Mary Bell's sister, amongst other people, was definitely immediately like, oh, wow, what a fucking act, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, because when, um, what I spoke about earlier, when KC just walked past her straight to the officer, that's when she said she was like, oh, You've done something. You have something to do with this. Yeah. She immediately pointed the finger at him. Woo-wee. So while KC is in for questioning, detectives noticed numerous injuries on his body, including a large, recently inflicted scratch from his hairline to his right eyebrow. Oh, my God. His left arm bore several scratches and puncture wounds. There were scratches on the inside of his right wrist, a scratch on the left side of his neck, and four parallel scratches on his right tricep. Oh, my God. Some of these scratches had dried blood on them. Again, you're not under arrest. Thanks for coming down here uh, voluntarily. Um, That's huge. As you know, um, right now, there's some people, some family and friends that are worried about um, Maribel, your roommate. I'm also a friend, and I care about her very much. Uh She's my best friend and roommate. Uh So when was the last time that you saw her? About 9 p.m. That's when we talked about 9 o'clock and I went out. So you last saw her at 9 p.m. And then you left for an hour, came back at 10, and she was gone. So where did you go for an hour? An hour and an hour. I just drove down to, to the, almost down to the Tustin. Sometime I get frosted, I just drove down. I got drive back. I just came back in. You just drove down to Tustin? Yeah, I drove back. Job. Yeah, I just drove down and come back. Don't go anywhere. So do you have anything to do with her being gone right now? Absolutely nothing. I'd like to know where she is, too. And who picked that up? Okay. How'd you get all these scratches on you? Yeah, that's something I never knew. I had a scratch there. At this point here, he's getting photographs taken of his body. We go to Eisenhower Park all the time. Uh-huh. We pick up fishing lines all the time. You go there... See? Fishing lines. Those are from fishing? No, 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 no. I'm going to explain. <laughs> oh, my God. Ooh, wee, the chills that just went up my fucking spine. Bullshit, okay. Casey. According to Casey, when he was with the detectives, he showed surprise about the scratch on his face, claiming he had no idea how it got there. Mm-hmm. Then at trial, it was later changed stated that scratch near his eye resulted from a $12,000 cosmetic procedure he had undergone to appear younger at Ramos's suggestion. What? Be- yeah, because he was 53 and she was 36. Oh my goodness. Detectives checked out his alibi for the scratches and they found bushes with thorns that could definitely cause the scratches on his arms. Okay. So, detective said, even though it was hard to believe... How could we prove he didn't? Yeah, I was about to say, when you brought up the thorns, it's like, if there's something they have that makes sense as to why he has those injuries or those marks or scratches, then unless they have just further hard evidence, they can't really, you know, it's like you said, how can they prove that that's not what happened at that point? Yeah. So they had their suspicion about KC, but there was just really nothing to pin him on. Which is really tough to discern because they have to have facts and evidence to prove without a shadow of a doubt that this man 
even as strange as he was and suspicious as he was, he had something to do with the disappearance of Maribel Ramos. Two days after Maribel had been missing, Lucy made a Facebook account with Maribel's picture on it. Utilizing Facebook for a missing person has been successful in some cases. Uh, in a lot of cases, actually. You're connected to millions of people worldwide. And she wanted to make a platform to allow anyone who had any information to come forward and speak up about it. So her family was also handing out flyers, just really doing anything they could to find her. That's and, so sad. Yeah. And everyone was looking for Maribel, and they had the support of family, friends, co-workers, military friends, etc. Orange California's community was all looking for Maribel, and her story was told over the news. So this was like a big case in 2013. Yeah. Seven days later, Maribel's family held a candlelight vigil. A lot of people attended. They were all standing around in a public setting, praying and hoping that Maribel was all right and would be found soon. Casey attended this vigil. Oh, my God. He sat down with his Yorkie dog close enough to be a part of the candlelight ceremony, but far enough away to be by himself. Mm-hmm. He was watching these people like the creep he is. Oh, my God. And when anyone would, like, walk up to him and ask him why he was away from the group, he would just say, like, I'm just sad. I don't want to be around the family right now, which is a huge red flag because when Maribel was around, he was very much a part of these get-togethers, just laughing it up and joking around with the family and just regular type behavior you yeah, expect. Yeah, I was even going to say he felt so comfortable, in fact, that he calls Maribel's sister with all this weird shit about how he's in love with her and wants exactly. to be with her. Like, so all of a sudden, why don't you want to, you know, why don't you want to celebrate with the family, Casey? I thought Maribel meant so much to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's like he had done a complete about face from how he was. And now he was just secluded and a voyeur to the family's pain at this point. The Facebook page I mentioned, Casey was all over that account talking about Maribel in the past tense. Wait, what? Yeah. One post said, I am Maribel's roommate. She's my BFF and my only family. She is absolutely the best woman I ever met. We had so much fun together. I miss her so much. She always knew that I would give my life for her without any hesitation. Wow, Casey. It's like you're talking about her as if you know she's already gone. Right. That's fucking chilling. It sends chills down my spine because people were actually getting the same feeling we are getting right now from that post alone. That sinking feeling that, like, he knows something about her being gone. Why else would he post about her in the past tense form? Yeah, I was about to say, I don't think anybody else was. So someone did make a comment bringing up the fact that he was using past tense and that they found it odd. And that comment was there for everyone to see, like... Have you noticed he's saying she knew and we had and things like that? May 15th, 2013, Cal State, the college Maribel attended, was having a banquet dinner. And Maribel was supposed to be speaking at this dinner. So Lucy was supposed to go with Maribel as a guest. So Lucy went to Maribel's apartment to look for clues. She wondered if Maribel had taken anything with her in preparation and intention of going to this dinner. So, like, you know, if I was going to leave the house and I knew I had a prior engagement to be to, you would figure I'd bring, like, perfume or brush or, you know, what have you. Exactly. Her search revealed nothing. Oh, my God. Maribel hadn't taken any items with her. And as Lucy was leaving, Casey was standing at the door. So she told him, if my sister doesn't come to this dinner, then somebody must have killed her. Oh my gosh, she knew. She knew. He replied. That breaks my fucking heart because she knew. He she knew. He replied in broken English, in that broken English accent, and said, oh Lucy, don't say that. What? Like, like here's the crazy part, because Lucy had already met him. I was about to say, that is like the ultimate fuck you. Right. Lucy had already met him, had already heard how well he spoke English, and now all of a sudden he's even speaking to her in broken English. 
Yeah, absolutely not, Casey. Like, it gave me the utmost chills when you said that she was like, oh, Casey, I guess someone fucking killed her. Like, that just sent... She knew. Yeah. She knew that he had done something to her sister. That absolutely just makes me want to fucking jump out of the window. Yeah, it's it's really sad. Really sad because her and her sister were so close. As days went on, detectives spoke to everyone that was involved in her life. Past boyfriends, family, friends, co-workers, people she encountered at school. Everyone. Everyone. But everyone had a solid alibi for where they were and what they were doing at the time of her disappearance. Except Casey. The only person that didn't have an alibi was Casey Joy. There was no evidence against him. Except for the scratches. So, detectives had a gut feeling that Casey was involved somehow, but they just couldn't seem to pin him down with anything. They felt defeated. So, from there, detectives decided to look into Casey's past. He came from Knoxville, Tennessee, and he fled that state because everything going on with him there was very negative. Like, things were not going good for him. Things were just really bad. And prior to him moving to Orange, California, he lost his job. His parents passed away. He got into a bad argument with his sister over his inheritance from his parents. And he was isolated and really had nowhere to go. Detectives called and spoke to Casey's sister. She informed detectives that Casey had a very bad temper. She was so scared of her brother, in fact, that she got a restraining order against him. Oh, my God. She said that Casey was a monster. Oh, my. Y'all, if y'all could see my fucking face right now, I am fucking like, again. Surprise. I think I've said this note one or two times in the Chicago Ripper Crew episode and one or times during this one, but stomach dropping through my asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely dropping through my fucking asshole, unadulterated. That so. reminds me of that cartoon where it's like, my anus is bleeding. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I feel like right now. Like, <laughs> holy shit. So... Detective Ramirez set up a surveillance team to monitor Casey 24-7 in hopes that he would slip up somehow and lead them to Maribel. Because Casey was educated and he was smart and he was obviously doing so many smart things to cover his tracks. Like they just could not pin him down with anything. So one day, Casey goes to the public library in Orange. At this library, you could check out or rent laptops. Mm -hmm. So he used the library's public laptops to log into the internet. The surveillance teams were able to connect remotely onto the laptop, and that gave them the ability to watch every single keystroke he made or every website he visited. Oh, shit. So they were watching his ass. Surveillance would then radio back to the detectives about... What he was doing. Exactly. So Casey made a search. He asked the search engine, does a cell phone have to be turned on to track its location? Another search asked, what is the probability of finding a missing person? And even search Wikipedia about death in absentia. And if you don't know what that means, it's a legal status imposed on an individual who has been missing for at least seven years. A person imposed with death in absentia is considered legally deceased and his or her worldly possessions are passed on to others and such. Oh, wow. So another search he made was, how long does it take a human body to decay? Even looking up human body decaying processes. He would even look up Mirabelle's name online and read news articles and leave comments on these sites or even go on Facebook and comment on posts about Mirabelle saying things like, please, I need her to return safely. Miss her. Oh, my God. The problem is, even though you and I would get that we got him feeling, the detective said... I could... I could... not. I don't mean to cut you off. No, I, could, I could see a dual perspective to where 
he's asking these questions or searching these things in terms of like, what is the probability of finding a missing person? Okay. That could be him genuinely like my friend's missing. What are the chances of me finding her or how long does it take a body to decay? He could be asking like, well, if my friend's dead, what are the chances of her remains being found? Like, I don't know. I see, I see the duality of it. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just, I felt that I see the duality because police need something like hardcore, fucking substantial evidence. concrete evidence yeah. and i could see how there would be duality in that yeah so like the detective still didn't have anything to prove and as you said an innocent person could look these things up on the internet in order to see what kind of time they had to find her. out of genuine concern exactly right. and obviously if there's any way to track her phone to find her so 12 days after maribel is reported missing Lucy contacts church members and puts together a small group of a couple of people to go pray outside of Maribel's house. She noted that Casey didn't look good. She said that he just looked very ugly. Oh, and God. she asked him if he wanted to come be a part of the prayer. He said, oh, no, no, you guys go ahead. And he sat there in the living room and watched them oh. pray. Oh my god, the fucking chills. Like, I'm getting crazy fucking chills. Like, look at my fucking leg, bitch. Like, I'm... Oh my... <laughs> oh my god. He sat and fucking watched he them. Watched them. Yeah. As they were literally Mary Bell's sister and some church members praying mm-hmm. for her safety, and he's just fucking watching. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. So he eventually goes back to the public library... Again, surveillance was viewing remotely. He goes to findmaribel.com and sees that Lucy put together an awareness walk at Peter's Canyon. This is where it gets kind of wild. Peter's Canyon was a place Maribel, Lucy, and her niece would go from time to time. So, her niece being Lucy's daughter. Lucy chose the location in hopes that, for whatever reason, Maribel would be there. He went to Google Maps... (laughs) Are you pouring another cup? No. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I literally keep thinking to myself that my microphone's not going to pick up when I'm pouring me a glass, but fuck, I just told on myself again. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, everybody. So sorry. I mean... I I represent the wine pouring in the most respectful way that I can. <laughs> I genuinely do. I'm so sorry. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stop running my fucking mouth now. <laughs> <laughs> Casey went to Google Maps and typed in the location of where the awareness walk was going to be. He then zooms out, switches to satellite view, then zooms in closer and closer and eventually zooms in on a tree on East Santiago Canyon Road and Jackson Ranch Road approximately 7.5 miles away from the upcoming awareness walk then he deletes his browser history wait what oh my god yeah oh my god a team was put together to go out into that don't area tell me immediately don't tell me so they went to go search the area that Casey zoomed in on And the location was so remote, the only visual marker they had was a large bush that was right off the side of the road. There was no indication of, like, where you were at. No landmarkers, pretty much. Right. Oh, my goodness. Once they arrived, they all spread out and took a portion of the area and began to search for anything suspicious. They found this large standalone tree. Like, I've seen pictures and video of it. It kind of looks like... A straight up tree that has no leaves, nothing on it. It's whitish looking, old, you know. Spooky tree. It's a spooky tree. Exactly. So they went to go search around there and 45 minutes of searching, they found her body. Oh my God. Oh my God. You're fucking kidding. I'm not. Her upper body was still concealed by rocks and pebbles, but investigators found that clumps of her hair had been pulled out. When she was discovered, her leg bones protruded from the shallow grave in the ground. Oh my god. And her feet were missing. A pathologist determined animals had consumed portions of her body, 
but could not ascertain the cause of death. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It was all over the news. Casey was monitoring the news, and he knew the body had been recovered. He knew they were coming for him. So let me just, for my own understanding, he, at the public library, zoomed in on this laptop on a location Mm -hmm. where her body was found. Yeah. Fuck you, Casey. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I don't know. I say I don't know why. That just gives me fucking the absolute, again, look at my fucking legs. I'm just fucking chills through my whole fucking body. Like, you literally wanted to, like, satellite view where you put her body. It's Oh, my God. Like, you know how killers normally have, like, tokens or souvenirs or they do, like... Trophies. Or they do, like, a drive-by of the area of where they've stashed someone's body just to reminisce, like, in the moment. To relive their crime, exactly. So what he did is a virtual drive-by. Oh, my God. So he knew that they were coming for him. And when Detective Ramirez and the police showed up at Maribel's apartment... Casey jumped out the window and fled. Yeah, that doesn't make you look not guilty at all, Casey. Like, you're totally just fuck off. But thankfully, surveillance saw him do this and they detained him until he was ultimately arrested and taken in for questioning. Casey actually told them, you better have some good evidence. Despite the fact he was searched upon his arrest and they found Maribel's military dog tags on his person. What? And not even to mention, like, KC, we just watched you literally zoom in to the location where her remains were found. We just fucking watched you show us. Yep. You led us to her body. Oh, my God. KC, fuck you, bro. This audio clip is a small one, but this is his reaction in the interrogation room when they, after they found her body. Coming up there, she's dead. It gives me chills because he does not break at all. Yeah. At all. It's like I said, I've said it in the Cassie Joe Starter episode. I said it in Dorothea Puente. I said it. I think I said it in the Slenderman episode, but I think a phenomenon that really fucks with me is when you're dealing with someone who has a psychopathic type personality or just someone who's done something like this to this gravity and they can just turn off all their emotions, turn off their emotion, straight face, confident. I didn't do it. No breaking, no expression like that absolutely scares the shit out of me that really truly scares me what's crazy is that detective ramirez thought they were getting so close to casey cracking and it never happened he continued to play his innocence that is fucking chilling that is that's like a fucking dorothea puente for you because she did that shit too she never once fucking broke right so detectives believe that because Mar- <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like, again, excuse me, everyone, while I scoop my asshole out of my stomach. I'm trying my hardest. Detectives believe that because Maribel was a veteran, she would have killed Casey or left a messy crime scene. He had to have had an advantage against her. And what's the best advantage over someone when they're asleep? Remember I said that her bed was not only unmade, it was also... It was a mess. It was very messy with her covers, like, messily sprawled all over the bed. And even though Maribel was locking her bedroom door, like... Because she stated, as you heard, on the 911 call... That she she, would be locking her doors and stuff. Exactly. So, we know how the locks on some bedroom doors are. Where you could, like, use a quarter to pick the lock, or... You know, where it's got the slit and you just turn it. There's some rigged way to get in, exactly. So, even though she was locking her bedroom door, he somehow found a way to pick the lock of the door. And he used that opportunity to come in and smother her, then took her body out to the canyon. 
At least that's what detectives believe happened. Oh, my God. Because, like I said, they really couldn't come to a cause of death. I mean, like you said, there is no official cause of death, but that would, at least in my mind, that explains all of the wounds you said that they observed, like the scratches on his arms. If he was trying to suffocate her, that would be remnant of her trying to fight him from off of her while he's suffocating her. That's... Yeah, they're defensive wounds, yeah. So on May 17th, 2013, KC Joy was charged with the murder of Maribel Ramos. And at the trial, they couldn't actually prove how he killed her, as we stated several times. But when KC zoomed in on that area of the tree, like I said earlier, it was a virtual drive-by. Mm-hmm. He pretty much led police unknowingly to her remains. This was the main piece of evidence that linked him to the murder of Maribel. On July 29th, 2014, a jury convicted Huang Chol Joy of second-degree murder in the killing of Maribel Ramos. The trial court sentenced him to 15 years to life in prison. However, Casey contended the decision stating that the court must reverse the sentencing because the court failed to probe sufficiently whether a juror committed what they call misconduct. One of the women on the jury basically sought prayers from her church community for guidance or wisdom in her decision making. The trial court and judge verified the juror did not disclose what case she was working on and had not discussed it with anybody. And that nothing about her religious beliefs would interfere with applying the law in this case. So basically, the court further ascertained the gist of the juror's request was to give me strength to handle this. So she didn't go into any details at all. Gotcha. But KC was trying to use that for a mistrial to get another trial. Gotcha. I see. It was determined that this inquiry was adequate and the court did not make an error by denying Casey's request in the attempt of a new trial motion. So there was no error whatsoever, not on the juror's part or on the judge's part, in order to convict this man. So he maintains his innocence to this day and continues to deny ever making the Google Maps search. But he says many people use the library computers. He also said he never Googled the location of the gravesite in Majeska Canyon. When he was sentenced, he said, and I quote, I miss Mirabelle more than anyone. I think about it. I've been here about 440 days in jail. I think about her almost every day. Well, yeah, Casey, you shouldn't have fucking killed her. So that concludes the disappearance and murder of Mirabel Ramos. This case is really fucking sad. It's very sad. Like, I, that is sad. I I wanted to cry several times making this episode. And now that you've, now that we're at the end of the episode, like the earlier points, like where you said, like when police were initially investigating the apartment mm-hmm. and KC was watching with binoculars and he was walking to the police and... Marybelle's sister was like, hey, Casey, like trying to talk to him. And he just cold shouldered her. Yeah. Like, oh, man, I couldn't even imagine. Because it's like I said earlier, like when she made the point where she told Casey, you know, well, I guess if she doesn't come back, someone fucking killed her. Like she knew like Like, this entire time she knew he was so close to the family. Like they were together in her apartment for like 18 months, I believe. Oh, my God. This is just so sad. That is so sad. Yeah, and one thing that I remember hearing off the documentary was Lucy and Maribel's mother always told them, be careful of the quiet ones. And Oh, fucking goosebumps. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, so that's all for today. Our condolences greatly go to the Ramos family. Yes. I could not imagine. I couldn't imagine. And Casey, fuck you. Hey, first of all, that's the that's the only note that I personally right. want to make on this is fuck you, Casey. Yeah, he's still in a correctional prison. Good, to this day. good, good. Yeah. He should be. I just I, I couldn't didn't imagine find anything to where it said like he would be eligible for parole or nothing like that. But 
He's still locked away, which is a great thing. Like, this is a case of unrequited love that just spiraled into murder. More like an obsession that spiraled yeah. into murder. That's just, it's fucking sad. And this kind of thing happens more often than we'd like to admit. I just, I hate that. I mean, you did a damn good job. I was excited to hear oh, this case, you. but that's sad. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you can catch us on Facebook at Gore Report, a true crime podcast. On Twitter at Gore Report. On Instagram at Gore Report Podcast. Yeah, so thank you for sticking around this far and listening to the whole story. We love and appreciate your support. Emily, Tabitha, Courtney, Shelby, Nona. Stephanie, James, and Steven. Love you. All of our hometown friends that are supporting us and helping us get off the ground with our project. And, you know, all of you have kind of helped bring it to life. And we appreciate all of you. We love doing this. We hope to do it for a long time. Yes. We will be back Next week, with a case from me, and it's going to be a rough one, go ahead and buckle your fucking seatbelts. Okay. <laughs> I've spent hours and hours in the rabbit hole with this uh, with this next one, but yeah, rest in peace, Marable. That was fucking awful. I, I absolutely want to go watch cartoons now. Right. It's definitely time for cartoons. Absolutely time for cartoons. So thanks, you guys. We love you. We care for you. We'll see you next Thursday. Have a good fucking week, Bye. and we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye.